We are in uh, a series on biblical church membership, and we've talked about how if you're going to think about uh, biblical membership or membership from a biblical standpoint, that you have to think differently about it. Because when we hear the word membership, our mind goes different places. Membership at a country club, at a golf course, uh, at Cedar Point, uh, at at the YMCA for unions. Uh, We have this different mindset that we have to switch as a paradigm shift to what we believe about membership. Uh, And we looked at membership uh, briefly from three different perspectives, or at least mentioned those, that we could look at biblical membership or church membership from a historical standpoint, because from the very first century, the the church has met together and has had members and they've had roles uh, in those those churches. We could look at it from a practical standpoint, that it just makes things easier for those who are charged to leading a church to know who's a member and who is not. Who, Who are they accountable for and they not? Practically speaking, church membership is a good thing. And, and more importantly, uh, church membership is biblical. And that's what we want to just rest on. That's, where that's what we want to be our foundation in all of this because we want to be a biblical, solid, biblical-founded church in all we do. Uh, so that's where we turn. And, and we, we, we shared during that first week that, that holiness is the primary purpose in this whole series and in biblical membership. And it comes from that tall marching order that came from the Old Testament and from the New Testament, uh, from the mouth of God, be holy for I am holy. Yesterday afternoon, I had the privilege of standing uh, in front of a a young man and a a young woman and and united them in marriage. And we were talking about in Ephesians 5, where it says uh, that husbands, you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And I told Elliot, that is something that you will never fully obtain in this side of heaven. But it's something that you chase after every single day. It's the same thing with our holiness church. We will never be perfectly holy this side of heaven, but it's something that we have our eyes set on every day that God gives us on this planet, that we are moving, we are progressing towards that in varying degree, from one degree to another, uh, toward holiness. And that is our goal. We looked at how the, 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 church, the Bible does something better than just give us a chapter and verse that says, join a church, or be a member of a church, or King James Version, thou shalt be a member of a church. It does something better. It gives us these pictures that makes it impossible for us to separate the Christian from the church. And we looked at several last week. We looked at the temple and how a temple is built of stones, and we are living stones, and it takes all of us, all Christians, to build uh, that temple that is the local church. And then we looked at the idea of a family and, and how if one member of a family isn't operating the way that it's supposed to, Right, then that hurts the family. We see that in our biological families, and we see that in our faith family as well, that it takes all of us. And it, you can't, when one member of a family is missing, the whole family feels it. The whole family realizes it. And then we spent most of our time looking at that the, the, the church is a body, and we know what it's like if part of our body doesn't feel good. Patsy and I were commiserating together this morning about how our bodies don't feel good sometimes. And it's that way here. When one member hurts, when our dear sister Kay Singo is crying because she lost a precious friend, we all feel that. 
We all hurt because one member hurts. So this, this idea of holiness, then we added the idea of a body and a body committed to holiness. And that's what the church should be all about. Everything that she does committed to holiness, whether that's here within these walls, whether that's in the community, whether that's taking the gospel across the globe. It's all about holiness and seeing people come to Christ and join in that journey of holiness. And because you are a member of a local church, the blessing of the church is that it is a body committed to your holiness. And we, we, we talk about we don't like uh, giving over control of things because they may not have our best interest in mind. Trust me, a biblically-based church only has your best interest in mind because they desire your holiness. So, we looked last week at 1 Corinthians and how it is a letter to a local church. The first words of 1 Corinthians uh, tell us that. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Corinth. And so everything that we see in this book, we have to read through that lens first, that this is a letter to individual to an individual church. Yes, it applies to everybody, but the fact that he is talking and writing to a church should tell us something. It should be the lens through which we read this letter. And then he just starts on this journey of sharing reminders and exhortation and commands about how the church should operate and how it should exist, how it should love and live and serve and what the relationship with the members should be. And you can just march through the chapters and you can find Paul in the first, in the first chapter saying, hey, I recognize and we should recognize that to the lost, to the world, the cross is foolish. It is folly. But to those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, it is the power of God to save. He goes in Verse 2, and he says, when I stand before you, or in chapter 2, when I stand before you, I don't come with eloquent speeches and, and fancy words. I want nothing but for Christ and his death to be exalted to you, right? Because that is the gospel. And we, when we speak that, we speak the wisdom of God through the Spirit of God that empowers us. In chapter 3, he reminds us that, that, that there's Paul and there's Apollos, and, but together we are co-workers with God in his redemptive story. And he says, church, you are God's temple, so treat it as such and act as such. In, in, in chapter 4, he gets to the point, he says, he uses this phrase, we are stewards of the mysteries of God. That's not like we're detectives out there trying to uncover what is unknown. No, this word mysteries in Scripture means something that was once hidden or unknown that has been revealed. It's talking again about the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And how in the, in the Old Testament times, right, there was prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that, that spoke of Jesus. But now that veil has been opened wide and Jesus is here. He has came, he has lived, he has died, he has resurrected, he has ascended back into heaven. He lives in you through the Spirit. He reminds us of that. He, he, he tells us that in chapter 4 that we should be fools for Jesus Christ. That we'd be willing to do whatever uh, is necessary for his kingdom and for his will. In chapter 5, he warns us about, he warns the church about, about sin, specifically sexual sin. And he says, you guys are boasting about sexual sin. That's the wrong attitude. That's a wrong approach to have. You need to flee from it. 
And if somebody is unrepentant of sin and sexual sin, you need to cast them out. You need to deliver, to use Paul's words, and we'll get to this again, to deliver them over to Satan. Right? And, and then he says in, verse, in chapter number 6, he says, why when there's a disagreement do you guys haul each other to court? Every time Tony and CW disagree on something, you guys are taking off and letting a judge decide what is right. right? Figure that out on your own. Your, your fellow believers, your brothers in Christ, for heaven's sake, act like it. And the world will see how you're handling your disagreements. So he reminds us to, to act and to solve problems uh, as brothers should. In, in chapter 7, he talks about the marriage relationship, how for some it's better to remain unmarried so that they can focus on, on God. Uh, but so, because we don't want anybody to burn with lust, if you need to marry, marry. You are free to be who God has created you to be in Christ. Use who you are, wherever you are, single or married, for the glory and for the honor of Christ. In, in chapter 8, he talks about something near and dear to our hearts and to our bellies. He talks about food. And he's saying, uh, some people are saying, don't eat this because it was offered to a God, an idol. And Paul says, come on, guys, we need to move past this. There's only one God. Everything else is just fake news. There's one God, so it doesn't matter whether this was sacrificed or something else, eat it. But because we are all involved in this together, if you eating something, if you drinking something, if you doing something offends or becomes a stumbling block to a younger, newer brother or sister in Christ, you better think twice about it. Let all that you do be toward building up holiness in your faith family. In, in chapter 9, he talks about the church being the seal of his apostleship. You guys are proving the calling that God has placed on us. And something that Scott and I sort of like, Paul in here says, hey, we're worth whatever you're paying us. Right? Uh, we, we're sharing the gospel with you. We are worth it in chapter 9. And in, in, in chapter 10, he, does, he reminds us, don't hang on to what your fathers did, those evil desires that they had. God will give you all you need to fight temptation, holiness from God. Right? You are to flee from idolatry. That's the holiness that we live out in our lives. And then he reminds us that we are to do all for the glory of God. Then he focuses in chapter 11 on the Lord's Supper, on communion, and he's saying, shame on you. You guys are making this something that's not supposed to be. You have brothers coming in hungry, you're ignoring them, and you're just, you're feasting on this. And he's like, no, remember, remember how, what Jesus did. That's what this meal is for, and when you do it, you're proclaiming the death of our Savior until he returns. Remember what you're doing things, or why you're doing things. And then in chapter 12 that we looked at a little bit uh, last week, uh, he goes through this long list of spiritual gifts and, and all of them and how they're to be used for the building up of the church and in our pursuit uh, of holiness. Um, this is what happens when you talk with a cough drop in your mouth. Right? And he comes to all these things, and there's this diversity of spiritual gifts, and everybody has been gifted by the same Spirit, but thank God that we are gifted differently. Right? Can you imagine uh, if we all sang like me? No, that would not be good. Right? Or, or can you imagine if we all had the same gift, how boring of a faith family this would be? But he's gifted us all in amazingly different ways. Use those gifts for the glory of the kingdom, for the good of the local church, because, and he reminds us, that you are one body. 
So Paul has just talked about all of this, and he says, and as the body, I've told you so much about how you should function, how you should act, what you should look like, how you should worship, and then in chapter 12, verse 31, he blows the top off with this neat and powerful statement. In the ESV, it reads, and I will show you a more excellent way. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, I will show you an even better way. After all that he has told us, this, this stuff that fills feels theology book after theology book after theology book, after all of those instructions, he says, but I'm going to tell you an even more excellent way. And that's, then he comes uh, to this point in this, this letter. You're a body. You're members of one another. You are not to let... You're to let there be no divisions among you. You are a group of people giving glory to God, giving all glory to God. You you have been been given great power. You've been given great freedom. You are stewards of the mysteries of Christ about the gospel, so spread it. You are a temple. You're to take a hard line against sin, especially sexual sin. You are gifted and you're redeemed by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And now I'm going to tell you an even more excellent way. And as we read chapter 13, and we've all read it before, right? It's in about every wedding ceremony someplace, whether it's in the service or on a, on a picture. We have it hanging in art in our home it's on Christian uh, Valentine's Day cards and anniversary cards about love, the love chapter. And we've probably read this dozens, if not hundreds of times. But this morning, I want us to remember the original context of chapter 13 as part of a letter to the local church on how she, how she should behave and act after all of these commands and encouragements about how to live and how to love, he comes to this, and he unveils to us the more excellent way. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, listen to it, read it through that lens, that contextual lens this morning. If I speak human or angelic languages but do not have love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not disconceited does not act inappropriately, does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for languages, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see indistinctly as in a mirror. 
but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Not written to your valentine, not written to your sweetheart, not written to be recited at a wedding, not that those things are wrong, but written to the church on how you are to live with one another, how you are to interact with one another. You, here is the better way, love. It should dictate all we do. If you're a leader who serves and leads, love is the mantra. If you're a member who's follow and serve, love is the beat to which you march. As we strive together for holiness, love dictates all we do. As we purposefully and passionately chase after the Great Commission, love is what compels us and then propels us to do so. As we encourage and as we scold, love. As we laugh, as we labor, as we mourn, love. As we disciple, as we discipline, it's love. As all we do is love. And from the words of Jesus Himself, that's exactly how the world is going to know that we belong to God. They will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is the standard by which we operate. Everything we do is rooted, bathed, drenched, marinated, whatever you want to use to describe that in love. Some churches have very long, very detailed covenants that, that, that dictate uh, the privileges and responsibilities of members. But even if a church doesn't, there are some basic things that we, when we come together as leaders and as members that we do, and all of that is rooted in love, right? Just take what, what, it, what it means and what is in, encompassed in being a church member when we gather for corporate worship of our God, when we open up the Word of God, when we celebrate baptism, when we celebrate communion, when we pray either for uh, supplication or for thanksgiving, um, when we come together to follow and desire to follow God's will together, when we protect each other from false doctrine in the way that we preach, in the way that we shepherd, in the way that we handle conflict biblically, as we example Christ to each other and to the community, as we seek to maintain unity and purity in all that we do, as we seek to fill up, fulfill the Great Commission and, and, and take mission opportunities in, in our communities and across the world, as we give sacrificially, as we, we set a standard and, and then we go after that with, with commitment and with passion, and as we together care pastorally for each other in high times and in low times, everything that we do as members of a local church is rooted in love. The blessing of membership is that there is a loving family committed to your holiness, and they will lovingly do anything to make that holiness a, holiness a reality. And the goal is that when we stand before our judge, who is our creator, who is our redeemer, that one member after another will hear those same coveted words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in to the joy of the Lord. I mentioned in week one that God never changes. 
There is not an Old Testament version of God and a New Testament version of God that butts heads with each other. God never changes. What may seem harsh in the Old Testament is only God's amazing love being displayed because He is far more concerned about the welfare and the holiness of His people than He is about their physical safety and their happiness. Everything that He does in the Old Testament, everything that that seems harsh because it is harsh, is out of love. And everything that He does in the New Testament is out of love. There is nothing outside of God that is not love because God is love. And as his church, as his people, everything that we do should be bathed in love, rooted in love as well, even the hard stuff. Love is what compels a Gretchen Hammer, a Katie Christensen, and their teams to love your children ridiculously every time they enter the building, to labor throughout the week, uh, to, to get things ready. Thank God for Katie and for Gretchen. Love is what compels this young man out with a baby to take care of your middle school students and your high school students every time they enter this building when they are at at, at track meets and ball games, at graduation and graduation parties. Love is what compels Scott McClure and his team to do what they do and thank God for that. Love is what provides members of this community to share and to lead in care groups, to to, to pastorally care for smaller groups of this congregation and to do life together. Love is what compels us to do uh, father-son adventures and, and marriage retreats and team kid and family camp and family Easter experiences and all of that stuff. It's what compels us to be involved in the gospel mission, in the, uh, in, in, in the Latrobe Street mission. It's what compels us to go and serve at the Salvation Army. Love is what should lead us to go to places uh, like, uh, like uh, Malawi and and to Scotland, to Nepal, to Central Asia, and to support our brothers and sisters who are there because they are spreading the message of the gospel. We should love enough to come alongside each other, to equip each other, to empower, to encourage you in your journey because above all else, we desire holiness. Love compels us to call each other out. Not because we want to, to you're, you're wrong, I'm right, but because we desire holiness in each other, in all of us. But it also compels us to do that in a way that Jesus tells us to, not to broadcast it, not to gossip, not to attack, but to go directly to. Love compels us to discipline each other. And love, and because we love so much, there may be a time after much prayer, after much counsel, after much study, after much intervention, right? after going by yourself, after going with a couple people, after pulling our shepherds in, that out of love we say these, these harsh words that we don't recognize Christ in you. But because we love you so much, we are handing you over to Satan for a time. Why? because we are much more concerned about your holiness and your eternity than your comfort and your happiness while you're on this planet. Our goal is for your holiness, not your happiness.
So even in those hard situations where we use that terrible church word, excommunication, it's not because we hate. It's because we love ridiculously and want eternity with you in the presence of God. Everything we do is rooted in love as a faith family. And that's the beauty and the power of the local church is that we live life together. You may have grown up in another church, but then you moved away to go to college and never returned. Maybe God provided a job that had you move away. Guess what? You're no longer members of that church you grew up in or that church that you moved away from to come here for work or for family. Right? Those, those churches far off don't see you every day. They can't hold you accountable. They don't know how we're living. And in the end, the leaders of those churches won't be held accountable for you. The leaders of this church where you worship and serve will be. The local church is important. One day, the leaders of this church will give an account for you. That's why biblical church membership is so important, because it unites us all together. We're accountable to one another for one another. And as I close, I just want to say something to you, that I just want to say that the men who lead this church, and I'm going to call them shepherds because biblically that's what they are and that's what they do. They shepherd you. They pray over you. They weep over you. They lose sleep over you at times. They give through our benevolence fund and sometimes out of their own pockets for you. They teach you. They step out of their comfort zone for you. Uh, they, they readjust their schedules for you. And you are in very good, very loving hands because of the shepherds of this local church. And I hope that you will add, if they're not already on your daily prayer list, that you will add these names to the people that you pray for every single day. Brandon Stahl and Randy Sturm, Mike Miller and Tony Postoit, Greg Woolwine and Ray Clow, Andy Bartlett, Jason White, and Mark McCain. These are godly men pursuing holiness in their lives and pursuing holiness in your life as well and for you. Some of my closest friends are on this list. Some of the men who know more about me than anybody other than this lady sitting on the front row are on that list, and I am glad they are. I'm glad they hold my feet to the fire when they need held to the fire. I'm glad that they wrap me up and hold me up when I need that. And guys, they do that for all of you. They have been called to this place for this season to act on your behalf, to lead and love on your behalf because they are concerned and because God is concerned with your holiness. I I, I, if you're not praying for them daily, please add them to your prayer list. Add this staff and all our ministry leaders to that prayer list. I believe in the mission of this church. Why? Well, Jesus said so, and that's sort of good enough for me. He's the one who said, go and make disciples. I believe in the vision of this church and the, on the banners, love God, love people, love more people. Why? Because it fits our personality as a faith family. It allows us to worship our God together. It allows us to spend time together and to learn to love each other and to support each other as we love people, as we grow in our holiness and as we go down the road of discipleship. And it allows us to love more people as we go outside these walls to fulfill the Great Commission, whether that's in Williamstown, Marietta, Parkersburg, or Malawi, or Scotland, or anywhere in between. And I pray 
that if you find yourself here week after week after week, that you too agree with the mission from Jesus and the vision set by the leaders of this church for how we pursue the Great Commission. If you're a covenant member, thank you, and I'm glad you're part of this faith family. If you have not placed membership, I pray that you, 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 you strongly uh, uh, consider that and pursue that because there is solidarity, there is strength, there is love in a family that you can't feel if you're just somebody visiting even regularly. I, and again, I said it last week and I'll say it again, that if you don't agree with the vision and the mission of this church, please find a church that you do agree with so that your skills, so that your talents and your passions, so that your love and your lives aren't wasted by inactivity. Right? We're more about the kingdom than just about one single local church. But more importantly than that, if you are not a believer, if you haven't entered into the universal family of God and then enter in at the, at the same time to a, to, to a local family of God, I encourage you to do that. I've said the sermon that I have preached the most in my 14 years of being here, uh, whether it was downstairs with our littlest ones or up here with you guys, right, the most important decision that you will ever make in your life is not where you will go to school after graduation, not what job you will have for 30, 35, 40 years, not even who you will marry or where you will live. It's what will you do with Jesus Christ. The most important decision you will ever make is to surrender to Him as your Savior, to let Him lead you, to let Him love you and join you as you progress through your life of holiness. I pray that that is a desire that God uh, plants in you and the Holy Spirit just fuels and fuels and fuels. As we strive for our love God, love people, love more people, I'm going to put a challenge before you for this summer. I hope it takes and it just grows after this summer. Um, for some of you, you could check two or three of these off already, and, but I don't want you to check them off and say, I'm done, and just take it easy for the next two or three months. I want this to be a starting point. And maybe it's an addition for some of you that if you're already doing this, that you just add this challenge on top of what you're already doing. But here's the challenge that we want to put before you for this summer. And it's a starting place. And we're going to hopefully increase this over the coming weeks and months. But they are, right, it's a group of three. We want you to give to a group of three. We want you to give an hour of worship. And if you're paying attention, unless you nodded off during the last 59 minutes, right, you can check that off your list for this week. Right, but again, starting point. How can we commit to worshiping every week? The second thing is we want to get, encourage you to give an hour of study. Right? Whether that's a time with you at the dinner table or on the couch or in wherever it is on the back porch with coffee uh, beside you, in God's Word studying. I want to encourage you to use this first and then bring in other resources. But study in God's Word. If you're already doing that, bump it up an hour. Right? The third thing is an hour of service. Right? Whether that is serving with your care group at one of the mi local missions that we support, whether that's you and your family identifying something, whether that's something formal that's already out there, or whether that's a, just a need that you see in your community and you take it upon yourself uh, to, to fulfill that. An hour of worship, an hour of study, an hour of service. Let's start there and just see what, that ha what happens with that in the hands of a loving God. This morning, 
Uh, I pray that as we go through the rest of this weekend, as we go through this week, that our attention is focused on all that has been given to us by an amazing God. For the freedoms that we enjoy as a citizen of this country, and I pray that we never hide behind those freedoms, but that we use them for a launching pad to share the gospel wherever we may go. I pray that we keep focused on the sacrifice that was made by our Lord and Savior as He went to Calvary's cross willingly. Why? Because He loved you. It's the only reason that He gave Himself for you is because He loved you. And I pray that you will commit to the kingdom work of this local church. We're not asking you to do busy work. We're asking you to join us in kingdom work as we strive together, as we pursue holiness.